0: This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, I, I don't know that I've been as excited about an episode as I am about this one. Um, absolutely a tremendous minister, man of God, um, loves the Lord. Uh, Has a lot of great content out there, a lot of books, and we'll talk a little bit maybe about that at the end. Uh, We have uh, Brother John Arcovio with us. Uh, Brother Arcovio, would you just introduce yourself, tell the listeners uh, a bit about you, where you are, and then we'll get right into the content.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brennan, for having me on this this, uh, call, uh, this video Zoom. I know that um, we've just briefly met and... Uh, I I, I instantly felt the connection, just your heart for the kingdom. And that's really what our heart is for and all about, is the kingdom of God. And, um, of course, I grew up in a Pentecostal denomination, um, cut my teeth on uh, all-night prayer meetings and just wild uh, South Texas-style uh, apostolic meetings. And what I mean is, back then, um, the women would wear these beehive hairdos. They would pile it up as high as you can get. And I even knew some women that put Quaker oatmeal boxes underneath the pile it higher. <laughs> it's the higher it went, the closer the God you were. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yes, sir. But right. they had to. Get all this put together with these big bobby pins and these small bobby pants And I'm talking just tons of them to keep everything in place. And, uh, of course, we, we'd be in Pentecostal services. as in, I'm talking, I was probably seven, eight years old. And we'd be laying down under the pews. while they'd be shouting and dancing and talking in tongues. And, yes, rolling on the ground. And these women would do what we call shout their hair down. Well, they'd start shaking and shouting until bobby pins go flying everywhere and their hair would just come all tumbling down. And we had a game we played where we'd race out and whoever got the most bobby pins won. (laughs) Small bobby pins were a point each, but if you got the big bobby pin, that was five points. So that's kind of, you know, grew up with that and uh, had so many great, great men of God that just sewed into my life, especially in my early years, my first I accepted the call of God in my life. I remember the first time I knew I was called to preach was in the, uh, it was called a Junior Crusader Youth Camp. Mm. It was up in uh, Northeast Texas, a city called Lufkin. And they had this big open air uh, campground type thing that um, they had just wooden benches and they had sawdust down where the dirt was at. You know, just outdoor type meeting and And I was, um, I think at that crusader camp, I would have been, see, I received the Holy Spirit when I was nine, so probably 11, not maybe 10, somewhere around there. And that night, the camp evangelist was this guy named Charles Mahaney, (laughs) and he was wild. I mean, he would talk about drinking cat's blood and sleeping in open graves and just, you know... We're just sitting in our eyes. (laughs) 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 But on Thursday night, I apologize. I have some congestion. I'm hoping I'll be okay tonight. (laughs) But on Thursday night, he preached a message called a shepherd's boy, a king's anointing on a shepherd boy's life. I'll never forget it. And God just smashed me. At 11 years old, God just got a hold of my heart. Mm. I remember at the end of his message, he said, is there anyone here that you feel like God's calling you to preach? Well, I was the first person to hit the altar on my face in that sawdust, just sobbing, crying out to God. And I just was lost in, in, in the presence of God at a young age. And it wasn't until almost midnight that one of the camp monitors came and gently shook my shoulder and said, son. You're going to have to get up and go to the dorms. It's lights out time. But I knew God had called me then, and even at a young age, God revealed His voice to me. The first time He spoke to me was it was a very, uh, it was a it was a very um, unique experience that's really never happened since. But I'll have to paint the picture around it so you will understand, because mostly when God speaks to me, it's a still small voice or impressions, or He speaks through His Word. But in this particular instance, again, I was probably about 10 years old and I was building a tree fort out in the, we lived in the country and they left a bunch of wood out in this field because they had, we were going to build a huge subdivision. They built five houses, round of money and never built anymore. It was in Oak Hill, Texas outside of Austin. And um, so they left all this plywood and two-by-fours and, and two-by-sixes two, two just laying out in this field. And the grass grew up probably five feet tall. Well, I discovered this on one of my, my wanderings. <clears throat> so I'm pulling this wood to build a tree for it. I've always been a builder in my life. And I just jumped the creek, and it was just – I was forming a trail into this very tall grass, taller than me as, as, a, as a young kid. And I'm walking along, and all of a sudden, above me, or just right in my consciousness, I heard the loudest voice say, Stop. And I froze as a young man. And I looked down, and right below what I was just put my foot was the biggest down back rattlesnake crossing the path. And I would have stepped right in the middle of his back. And back then, uh parents both worked during the day, and we were left to our own demise all day long in the woods until they came home about 6.30 at night. And if I'd have gotten bitten, then who knows what would have happened. But that was kind of the first revelation of God's voice to me. And Of course, you understand it being a, a loud, demonstrative voice is because it was a dangerous life or death situation. God normally does not speak that way. But I began to develop a, a walk with God and began to hunger after God, would bring my Bible to school every single day, to testify to people about Jesus from a very young age, all the way up into my high school years. My dad planted churches. He planted seven churches, uh, four in Texas, uh, three in Florida, and um, uh, had a, a, a healing ministry, a ministry of the gifts and evangelism. But then it went to a very traumatic time of my life at the age of seventeen where everything just fell apart. And uh my parents ended up being divorced because of some terrible mistakes that my my stepfather did. And um I left, decided I wasn't I wasn't gonna be the preacher God wanted me to be. I would just make money, so I went to the Southwest Texas State University to um to be a structural steel engineer. But after a year, God God got a hold of my my heart. It's the first time I had a vision of what I believe was Jesus. I do believe it was Jesus because of the conversation. I went a lot of years thinking it might have been an angel, but um, some of my roommates were going out to spend the night partying, and I wasn't feeling well. And so I said, "Y'all guys go ahead." And it was New Year's Eve. About one in the morning, I'm laying on the couch and I open my eyes. And there's a man standing right next to the couch in the darkness. I remember, he was dressed in like white. And he started talking to me. He started talking about, you know, my love for the word, my love for uh for God. And and I remember having this conversation with this being that was talking to me, saying, You know where true love is. And I've been watching over you every day, waiting for you to come home. And and I remember I was arguing with this being that that I hated my stepfather who raised me. And I could never come back. I hated him. I, I, I would kill him if I saw him. And um, at any rate, towards the end of the conversation, I remember him saying, just trust me. I'll walk you through everything. And then pff, the vision, the man, whatever it may be, the f and Ephiny, whatever it was, was gone. So I got up, and went up to the restroom, and I washed my face. And I remember looking in the mirror at myself, thinking, "What just happened?" And I remember closing my eyes and kind of lifting my hands up about this high, and just saying, "Jesus, are you still there?" And it's like God swept down with His arms and just caught me up. And I never forget Him saying, "I never left you." I can tell you that day on that bathroom floor, I fell on my knees and I I gave my heart back to God. And I've never looked back since. But um, because of this trauma I went through with my parents, the divorce and quite a stigma being placed against my life, because now I was that guy's son who did some pretty terrible things, uh, I just began to lose myself in prayer and fasting. And that's when... I began to just go into lengthy times of prayer, seeking God. And um, long fasts, 7-day, 10-day, 14, 21. I think it was in 1986 when I went on my first 40-day fast. Just hungry for God. Just, just, that's all I wanted was Him. Just going after Him like I lost my mind. And... Of course that brought me into a place of the the prophetic gifting in my life becoming developed and and it was in 1988 that I began to minister reaching out some because God directed me to do that he gave me several dreams and he gave me messages and it's a very unique calling in the beginning even when I went full time in ministry at that time my pastor's name was James Kilgore he was a uh, of Black Tabernacle Church in Houston, Texas. I remember I'd only preached four times. And uh, God had spoken to me and given me these four messages. So all I had was four messages. And I preached those messages four times. And I remember I went to Brother Kilgore because God was telling me to go full-time in ministry. <laughs> now, kids, don't do this at home. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Brother Kilgore, shaking in my shoes, thinking that he was going to tell me, you know, you're not ready. You got to go to Bible college. You know, you got to. And I told him, I said, Pastor Kilgore, I feel like God spoke to me to go full time in ministry. mean he looked at me, but he actually looked like right above my head. And he shook his head and he said. Brother Johnny, you've heard from God. Be careful, son. I came on two weeks' notice at the job. I was working as a structural shield draftsman, put a little mattress in the back of a truck that I got, ended my rent in my apartment, paid off my bills, and I took off. <laughs> I did more fasting in the back of that truck in state parks than I did preaching. I was waiting on God <laughs> to direct me. <laughs> but then God spoke to me to go to a city called Big Spring, Texas. And I remember I, I, just had enough gas just to get there End up parking on the outside of outskirts of town at a state park just fast and praying and talking to god and got the nerve up on saturday night to drive into big spring and to call the pastor and just tell him that i'm passing through town and if i could park my truck on his church parking lot for the night well he answered the phone his name was Greg taylor and i told him that he goes Brother, it's getting down to 12 degrees tonight. Well, I knew. I'd been sleeping in that truck all week. I didn't know how cold it was. I <laughs> said, so I got my sleeping bag. He goes, no, I'll come by my house. So I drove this big, beautiful two-story house with white pillars. and Long story short, he had me come in, and he asked me to preach the next morning. And the power of God fell in that meeting, and we ended up going 18 weeks straight and just a miracle revival where people... Got touched, saved, delivered, prophetic words given, just miracles and the rest was history. Just from there I just kept preaching. People kept having me. I remember I preached one time 98 services in a row just because I was so just passionate about God and after his Spirit. So I said i have to say that's the basis <coughs> of what I talk about when I say kingdom. This isn't some newfangled doctrine that I've suddenly come across or You know, there's a quote from a a, a author by the name of E.M. Bounds. It's from a book he wrote called The Power of Prayer. He said, God does not bestow his gifts on the casual or hasty comer or goer. Much time with God alone is the secret of knowing him and being of influence with him. Wow. So I spent, you know, uh, about 30 wondrous years in his denomination and then... 2012, the Holy Spirit spoke to me to step away, and um, I um, I took that step. It's, it's, it's been a, a, a tough journey. Um, I uh, lost my marriage over my decision to step away. Um, so a lot of healing and a lot of a lot of transition has taken place since 2012. But, Presently now, I serve as an epithelic father. I raise up sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers. I lead a network. It's a relational network called Spirit-Led Family. So first and foremost, I teach people to be Spirit-Led, to know the voice of God. When Samuel was a young man, Eli taught him how to do the work of ministry. Eli taught him how to serve in the temple, but never taught Samuel how to know God. And too many leaders, they train ministry to serve them in their vision. When true apostolic fathers are called to lay down in the mud so sons and daughters can walk on their backs to step under their destinies. It wasn't until God spoke to Samuel twice in the night that somewhere in the cobwebs of Eli's memory, he remembered the time when he knew the voice of God. And he turned to Samuel and said, God's speaking to you. And if he calls you again, tell him, speak for thy servant hears.'" <coughs> so that's been a passion of mine is really to, To lead people to Jesus, because you know, Brandon, we can't lead people to ourselves and our ministry into Jesus at the same time. You know, I I don't mind church growth concepts. I don't mind church growth ideas. There's a lot of church growth conferences out there. There's C3. There's groups. You've got um, ARC. In, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And I'm not, I'm not speaking against these leaders and what they're doing. But I, I, I fear that a generation is coming up that knows how to work the metrics mm-hmm. and all the logarithms and the SEOs and all the accoutrements of going big fast how to draw crowds. You know, great children's ministry, get a a good hostess team, have a good band, good music. But they don't know him. Not leading people into the presence of Jesus. When Moses led the 70 elders, the Bible says they climbed the mountain of God and came to a plain where God met them. And there they had a feast. And this was unheard of because people feared God. It was understood you couldn't see God and live. But here God moved in the dispensation of graces, though it were at that moment that he allowed these 70 elders were Nadab and Abihu were present. But that's as far as they could go. That initial encounter, God's presence, is that Moses went further than he went alone. And I think people, they want a relationship with God. They want to know God. They want to experience his power. Just to get butts in the seat. Just to grow a big church. Just to be anointed for a meeting. There's something about the dynamic in the kingdom. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Brandon, something has captured my heart all I want to do is I want to know him and I want people to know him and that's what the kingdom of God is really in the nuts and bolts of it we could talk a lot of principles of kingdom we could talk about the culture of honor in the kingdom of God the culture of generosity these are pillars in the kingdom we could talk about the kingdom of God being preached with power you can't just have the word of God preached you got to see demonstration of spirit and power but really cultivating hunger for god's presence that's that's what i'm driven to whatever i do i purposely cultivate an atmosphere that's a hunger for god's manifest presence and an openness to experiencing the holy spirit in a transforming and powerful way that will deepen our friendship with God and our awareness Mm. of his presence and grace in our life. Because I believe we carry his presence. That's what the glory of God is. It's the manifest presence of God. We are carriers of his presence for the sake of the world. David said in Psalm 73 and 28, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. And we have to be intentional about this. And I mean, again, I don't care about blow smoke all day long. Get get your big video screens. You know, wear blue jeans and cool shirts. I mean, really, none of that really matters. Do you know him are you experiencing the transforming power and presence of god not just on church on sunday but on a daily we can never lead people where we are not and when we become consumed by him when we become captured by his presence Captured Paul said, I'm constrained. the love of Christ constrains me and when you read that scripture, he talks about several motivational factors for serving God. He talks about first of all the, the principle of fear of God. he talks about you know uh, some saving like, like like pulling people out of the fire, you know so, some saving by terror I, I'm quoting second uh, Corinthians five I think it is, but then he talks about competition for those that glory in appearance and in face. And these are motivational factors we find in the church world for why we do what we do. We don't serve God because they don't want to go to hell. They're afraid that Jesus might come. That's not very capturing. It doesn't keep you. I remember when I was at the Kilgore Church, they, the guy wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Going to Come in 1988. And I remember that December 1988, I think about 720 backsliders came through and got baptized because Jesus was supposed to come at that time. But when he didn't come, two weeks later, they were back in the bars, back just living their lifestyle, doing what they normally did. So fear really is not a good motivational factor for serving God. Competition's powerful. You don't think competition is powerful? Look at these football teams and baseball teams that what they go through to win the World Series or to win the Super Bowl. The amount of money that's spent, the the, the the steroids and things they do to their body to go after that crown. <clears throat> so yeah, competition is powerful. But it has no place in the kingdom. Paul said it, the love of Christ captures me, constrains me. So I'm gonna pause here if you wanna jump in and comment. I've been kinda of on a roll here.
0: <laughs> no, this is I this is absolutely incredible. In Philippians chapter three, and this just kinda of came to my mind where the apostle Paul's writing and he says that I may know him. You're talking about that's where our our passion has to be. It can't be about my platform, my ministry, uh my desires, my wants, my needs because it's, it's, that's not what this is about these, these kingdom biblical principles this is about, look at Jesus it said that he came, he made of himself no reputation he walked among his creation as a man and he made himself a, in the form of a servant and when he was with the disciples, he said, "You know, who's, who's who's they're fighting over? They're they're fighting over position. They're they're fighting over competition. They're saying, saying, well, who's the greatest? Where I'm closest to Jesus, I must be the greatest.' And Jesus says, 'No, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. You're you're missing the point. The greatest is the one that is the least.' Come on." And so um, we, we um, have these people, you know, and, and I, I, I like I, I went to jail. You walk- know,
1: Brandon, I, I traveled a lot of years doing a lot of good things. and This is how I measure things now. I call it good, better, best. I did a lot of good works. Traveled, preached in foreign countries, saw people received the Holy Spirit, built churches, built Bible colleges, but. Rep- a lot of my motive as I was driven, and it was really about me building a name for myself, building my ministry, becoming known. In the Bible, in the book of Luke 10, Jesus visits Mary and Martha. Martha is consumed with making sandwiches Jesus never ordered. Wow. And that's where we have to be consider. Am I doing what Jesus has asked me to do? You know, our ministry is just our mina of worship that we offer to God in obedience because he asked us to. And when I begin to separate out things that were not what Jesus was asking me to do. I was chasing after this, chasing after approval of men, chasing after you know money, chasing after. As I begin to do a heart purification, I begin to discover that things begin to just be weeded out. Because Jesus said it. He told Martha, He said, "You're you're (coughs) consumed and worried over all these details." There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Maria has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. <clears throat> what Martha was doing was good, but it wasn't the best. And I've narrowed, narrowed myself down to discovering and, and focusing on what is best. Um, am I focusing on the best? He said... The only thing that mattered was what Mary Mary was doing, and that was seeking after God. And I think I talked about this in in one of my uh, broadcasts I did a few weeks ago about the God encounter I had where Jesus appeared to me on the platform of a major conference that I spoke at. And in a nutshell, he came and stood next to me, looked at the crowd made a comment about how many people was in the building. Then he looked at me and said, do you want this? And then he, I knew what he was saying. Do you want just to be known, esteemed, secure financially, you know, plenty of, of... my answer was I want you and I want nations to know your kingdom. To enter into your kingdom. Of course, when he left that platform, the last thing he said to me was, if I could endure the stripping, I would have it. But that's when I began to dig out all the deep roots of my need of approval of men. So there's, a, there's a void in us only God can fill. Right. We try to fill it with busyness, busyness of ministry church events with making money business, success in life but the only thing that can fill that void is an intimate relationship with Jesus to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering as Paul said and I remember about two, I left the denomination in 2012 went through a very long process of stripping from 12 to about 16. <clears throat> if I remember it was in 2017, um, I would wake up in the mornings, Brandon, and there was this huge emptiness inside of me. Like a void that I sensed, like the Grand Canyon. It scared me. And I would cry out to God. I would say, God, have I missed you? Did I misunderstand you? when You told me to step away from the pyramid of religion and to step in the kingdom. One morning when I cried out to him like this, he answered me. He said, "No, the void you are feeling is the cancer of religion that I pulled out of you. How dependent you were on the approval of men and seeking after the applause of crowds and people. He says, now let me fill that void with my presence. Wow. So you can be doing good things, but don't stop there. People say, are you against religion? Are you against denominations? No, I'm against denominationalism. I'm against the manipulation, domination, and control that men love to have. But I'm not against religion. I'm for kingdom.
0: Amen. Yeah. Wow. That's where really the rubber meets the road. Is how willing am I to be lesser? And as the writer said, esteem my brother above myself. Allow myself to be a stepping stone for somebody else. I, I, I've made that my, my mission. My mission has been and it, it, at times if you allow yourself to see things carnally, it's almost as if God's giving them more chances, more opportunities, more gifts, more abilities, whatever it is, when really God is using you to connect them to where he wants them to go. When my, ate,
1: that's so powerful, Brandon.
0: That's my, so powerful. my role is i have to be what god has called me to be and i have to be where he has called me to be and to do what he's called me me to do and that is intentional with the the voice of god that you were talking about and he's not asking me to be you know Charles Mahaney. He's not asking me to be TF10. He's not asking me to be really any of these other big names in, in Pentecost or no, any uh, non-denominational group. Or He doesn't want me to be Joel Osteen. He doesn't want me to be uh, Charles Capps. He, he wants me big to be games. Brandon Crooker. And he wants me to do what he's called me to do. Which is to build others up in a way and in a manner that doesn't build up their flesh, but builds up their faith and leads them as a pathway, if it were, into, as you were talking about, the very presence of a holy, righteous God. But a lot of that, that has to be, I have to be the example. I have to be the example. And and you know,
1: I call it a presence lifestyle. Where every day we become so aware of God's presence. I've got a practice now, I've been doing for years. (laughs) The moment I wake up in the morning and I open my eyes, I start becoming conscious. I turn my heart to God. I begin to love him and just say, God, what is my assignment for today? And even when we minister as a lifestyle, we practice recognizing God's presence when we minister to others. So when I'm ministering, I'm attempting to say what He is saying Mm. and to do what He is doing. That's what Jesus meant in, in John 5 and 19 when He said, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing of Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the son also does and though we understand that jesus was fully god but he was also fully man and he lived a life submitted as the prime example to us of what it means daily to be submitted to and led by god's spirit and that begins first thing in the morning you know one practice my wife and i do do, do and I'm, I'm a little older in life and maybe i'm able to do this but first block in the morning that first 30 minutes 40 minutes is our soaking time in the presence of Jesus we turn on soaking worship music and we, we just worship and we sit and we let God speak to us before we do anything else because we have to be we have to live our lives daily aware of his presence no matter where we go that we are carriers of the presence of God we are called to shift environments that when we step into dark areas, that environment becomes shifted by the glory of God that we are carrying in our life. And you said something a while ago about being a stepping stone for others, but really, this is why God anoints us and gives us favor. God never anoints us and gives us favor for us. It's for those around us that He's called us to serve. And when we recognize that, And we simply realize everything God's bringing to my life, whether it be finances, favor, anointing, no matter what it is, it's not for me. It is for those God's called me to serve. And when I'm constantly pouring out and releasing God, releasing ministry, releasing, you know, building, lifting others, helping others, then Jesus becomes revealed in the lives of people. That's why all through the day long, all through the day, we should worship and have fellowship with God in every aspect of life. Not just prayer, not just reading the Bible, but in in our creativity and what we do in life with our hands, with our skills, making money in music, in nature, in family, in work, in friendships. We should have fellowship with God through all these areas and reveal His love to people. That's kingdom.
0: I like how how you put that and it brought to my memory um, that verse of Scripture where the Apostle Paul said pray without ceasing. How can you pray without ceasing? You pray without ceasing by always... Well, what is prayer? Prayer is communion with God, communication with God, right? So if you're praying without ceasing, that means you are constantly... In the presence of God, and how do you do that? Because here's the thing: flesh can't glory in the presence of God. So if you're in your flesh, you you're not in the presence of God. You're in the presence of self. But when you're in the presence of God, and I remember I remember sometimes uh, Brother Okovio where I was it, it, I was just having these. Whether it was at a youth camp, whether it was at, you know at, at a at a some type of group setting where we had engaged in prayer and i just felt the power of god move and and i i didn't have to say anything i didn't it, it, there are times when you don't have you can just and they asked me one time what what are you doing and i said and i re, I received a, quite a bit of ridicule for it because they didn't understand they didn't understand that i would i would say i was just, i'm just basking in the presence of god i'm just and tears would be streaming down my face, brother, and I'd feel just—I felt it. I felt the love and the, the 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 power and the embrace of an Almighty God that cares about each and every one of us. And if we could get to that place as as a as the body of Christ, where we stop seeing, there's going to come a day, bro, when it's not going to be. It's not going to be apostolic. It's not going to be Pentecostal. It's not going to be uh, whatever. It's it's just not going to be. Those, those lines will be gone. And it's just going to I be... I believe
1: that. And I'm seeing that. You know, I'm seeing people really hungering after God in a way that's very humbling to me. Just I've been in some services where... You know, service started at... at, at Ten in the morning, and two o'clock people don't want to leave. People are still lingering. just the glory of God is there, and you know it's just it's just developing that God consciousness I, I've seen the power of God. I've seen blind eyes open, dead ears on stock, dead raised. I know atmospheres of the power of God where it's just but one thing that I've really developed in this season that I've been in. Has been a God consciousness. That even the slightest presentation of God, I sense He's there. I know He's moving. And he said it. He said, I will guide you with my eyes. It's the book of Job 23. Don't be as a horse or a mule whose mouth must be held in with bitten bridle. Power environments. We can actually become numb in some ways. But God has to have knocked us out to get our attention. He wants to I didn't understand this. I will guide you with my eye until I was in Ethiopia at one of the crusades there. And I watched the leader there commanding an entire room and all he did was look at the servant. And they knew as they were trained. Just one look. And that's where I want to get that sensitivity. God, I appreciate your power. I appreciate your glory. I appreciate But I want to be able to be with just one look from me. You. You've got my attention. I'm hearing you. And it's that sensitivity. And that's what I call living in the spirit of prayer. I guess you can have your devotion where you pray, you talk to God, you read your Bible. But throughout the day, just being sensitive when all of a sudden he comes near. I turn my heart to him. I'm like, Yes, Lord. Is there something you want me to do? Is there somebody close by you want me to speak to? And you know, one thing that every place I go now that they say when I get in the pulpit to speak, or I they say this a lot. That the atmosphere the atmosphere changes. And I'm not saying that to lift myself up, but I've been on a pursuit, Brandon. Becoming stripped and just letting everything go, and just saying, "Jesus, you're all I need. I'm satisfied with you. I don't have to be known. I don't. I don't don't care if I never preach another conference. I don't care if I never write another book. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Jesus, I just want to know you. I don't know your presence." I want to be sensitive to your grace because I don't want to be anywhere. I don't want to speak on any platform, do any work that God's grace is not enabling. I call it just a God consciousness. You live conscience that just one look from Him is all you need. You know, I, I, I grew up with my elders. And I remember, I always wondered why they'd walk around and for no reason at all, like JTP did this all the time, he'd walk into a restaurant, he'd go, praise God. Ah, just, I mean, walk into Walmart. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> I had no idea why he was doing this, you know, but now I understand it was their effort hmm. with God consciousness that walking through Walmart, he suddenly sensed God was near. And so he, ex- he expressed it by saying, Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, I, I never understood that, but now I'm, I'm getting it. Mm. The God yeah. consciousness.
0: Yeah. Amen. Well, brother, this is... Whew. I feel the Holy Ghost right now, bro. <laughs> I felt Come on, time, Jesus. This is... This is powerful. This is where this is where the um, church needs to get. The church needs to be. If we're, if we're going to be what God wants us to be in these end times, it's going to be based off of this this principle. Come on. Getting in the presence of God. That's right. And taking the presence of God to those that are hungry for. it. Because right. there's going to come a day, and the, the Bible says, draw nigh unto God while he's still accessible, right. while he's still right. there, and you can still right. get in that presence.
1: There'll be a day his presence will be ringing. I can't, I can't imagine that. I have so lived for God's presence that I can't imagine. I can't imagine God's presence being withdrawn from this world. Mm-hmm it will happen. And that's what this world needs. You know, I hear everybody talking about, oh, we got to get Trump back in. Oh, we got to do this. we got to do that. And guys, that, that may facilitate some things. But really, we need a grassroots awakening. We need a generation that rises up that becomes so hungry for God, so passionate for His presence they'll do anything, anything to draw near to him and see the value of having, being carriers of the glory of God. Amen. You know, the revival of the Hebrides that took place on the Hebrides Islands back in, in 1941 through 45, two old women in their 80s, one of them blind, just became hungry for God begin to have late-night prayer meetings, crying out to God. And it started an awakening that stirred. And their biggest concern was the young people of that of that island were not interested in God at all. And they would go to the big dance hall that the church had built, to have meetings and parties, and, and go there and just you know, saw flesh, just pursuit of flesh. But these ladies kept pressing until the glory of God came down and it was the night they were having this dance with 250 young people in that dance hall just dancing and having a good time and, and but these ladies were crying out to god and such conviction and power of god swept that area that that hall the doors burst open and those kids came screaming out of that hall sliding into the church on their knees crying out to god in repentance because the power of god gripped them and it turned to where people would come to that that outpouring that took place that that the second they stepped off the trains they would fall in the ditches by the power of god with conviction that that every saturday night i mean uh, everyone who had went out and done things wrong lined up at the police station sunday morning to turn themselves in confessing their sins Cause God's conviction was so heavy on that area. I don't believe that's a one time thing. I believe that, that, that God is going to raise up a generation, a remnant, a people that aren't interested in, 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 in modern day professional religion and, and you know, becoming successful. You know what God's been telling me? God, work at becoming smaller. Smaller, not successful, not popular, not known, smaller in my presence. So my glory can work and be released. I'm going to close with this. Great man of God named Smith Wigglesworth, a man that didn't even discover the power of God and the presence of God until he was 80 years old. That's when he answered the call of God for his ministry. 60 when he left his itinerant plumbing And began to pick up children and bring them to church But 80 when he answered the call of God But he lived in such a dimension of the spirit of prayer That when they would ask him to come and pray with them These pastors One by one the pastors would pray in a circle And they'd offer up their Oh dear father Dear heavenly God of the universe prayers When Smith Wigglesworth Dropped to his knees With tears streaming on his face Because of his contact with God Mm. Because he was a carrier Of the glory of God He began to pray And such a cavode That's what cavode is It's the glory It's the heaviness of God Such a cavode of the presence of God Went into that room That people couldn't bear it And they had to leave well, a pastor in Auckland, New Zealand heard about this. And he determined he was going to be in a prayer meeting where Smith worth was. And no matter what happened, he would stay and pray with him. Well, sure enough, that time came when six pastors got together and said, they had Smith Rugglesworth with them. They were going to have a prayer meeting. Once again, they all began to pray. And it came Smith's turn. He dropped to his knees. Because of his contact with God, because he was a carrier of the glory of as he lifted his voice and began to pray, the heaviness, the covet of God began to descend in that room. The weight. And one by one, people began to leave the room because they, could, they couldn't bear the presence. This pastor sat there and he struggled. He said the weight was so heavy he thought he was going to die. And finally, he said, I can take it no more. And I fell to my knees and I crawled out of the room. And he said he left Smith Wigglesworth praying in an atmosphere of God that very few men could even breathe in. Wow. I'm not there. But I want to know. I say consume me with your fire, God. If you're listening to this broadcast... I don't care what your church name is. I don't care where you're going to church. I That doesn't really matter. I ask you, my friend, do you know him? Do you want to know him? And do you want to make yourself available to be a carrier of the glory and the presence of God? I'm sorry I talked.
0: This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you, who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website, in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.